All right, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Katie Halper. And this is absolutely the first time that we're recording this. Today, yes. Today. We did yeah. not just not record by accident and have a right. really long chat. Right. No. About how it was cold and... Yeah, you should say, Katie, you look cold. Katie, you look cold, right? I didn't, that yeah. didn't happen. Yeah. I didn't say that. Right. So, uh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm... The Long story short, as I was telling Matt, couple minutes ago it's weird because i'm cold it's cold inside but it's warm outside i don't and, know why that is and oh you think because i'm anemic you're right? anemic yeah. yeah so you should just go out and sort of you know in zombie fashion just start eating any anything Iron. that's got blood inside of right, it right yeah. yeah i don't even re eat red meat is the problem but i can have um pills what else has iron i mean i can take the vitamins but you don't absorb that as well. So what else is iron? I don't know. Just Spinach? eat something. Eat, eat eat something that's a you know that's alive. You know, <laughs> like while it's alive, <laughs> yeah. bite something's head off. Yeah, exactly. Have you had Beyond Burgers? We should get sponsored by them. Have you had? Those? You mean like the, the the things that aren't meat? Yeah. Okay. I, I used to be a vegetarian, but I, I just cannot co-sign the the Beyond Meat. It tastes uh, like real meat. Phenomenon. It it really doesn't. Have you tried? I'm not talking Boca burgers, which I like. I like Boca burgers, but it doesn't taste like meat. But these actually do. Have you tried them? No, I guess I haven't. Okay, so I'm I'm, I'm speaking without experience. Yeah, but I've so but I've I've tried things like that, and it's just have a burger. Different, you know what it's I mean? Different. Like, You're gonna I, have to have. We're gonna have to get a sponsorship by them if you like well, them. Well, of if you course. Don't like then them, in that yeah. case, I'll change my mind instantly. Yeah, of course, yeah. It depend, depending on how much depending on how much they, they offer but right. um <clears throat> well just keep your mind open to this because as someone and i'm i'm a very honest person because i'll admit i'm the first to admit that boca burgers which i like don't taste like meat but so i'm with you there but these happen to taste like meat in a way that no other fake burgers have tasted right but see it's it's not even the fact that they take like whether or not they taste like meat that's the issue like the issue is if you're choosing not to eat meat, just eat things that are vegetables, right? Like don't, I, yeah, don't, this, this don't happens pine, to not be... pine for a meat. Well, uh, what if you're like a Glenn Greenwald and a super politically committed uh, vegan who doesn't want animals to suffer? Like I get it if it's a health thing or if it's a taste thing, but I still like the way they taste. Then, then all, all the more reason not to eat a fake cheeseburger because the cheeseburger should remind you of the sense you're of normalizing, slaughter of you're normalizing, yeah, you're normalizing burgers i guess or you could see it as a way to you know live a happy normal life while not sanctioning or uh, engaging in that you I know what know. i think are gross just though? be be what you are if just you're a vegetarian beef. just just eat vegetables if you if you if you want a burger eat a burger you know? I don't know. Well, we're going to have to, this is going to be too contentious for us to deal with on camera. We're going to have to get right. a mediator in here. Yeah, this that's, is the well, thing. that's, this is gonna that's be the thing. for sure. But yeah. here's what I can tell you I hate. What do you turkey, hate? Kate? Turkey burgers. Turkey burgers. They're so gross and gamey. Yeah, they can be. It depends. Like there, 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 there are some diners that I think do a good job with tur the, the turkey burger. But if you know, I mean, like the school cafeteria version of a turkey burger is like yeah. is one of the last things you'd ever want to eat. Yeah, not as well, in I've, your I've last eaten, meal. I've eaten some pretty gross things in my life. I don't. Yeah, I think what maybe. you said them before, but I can't remember. I was in Copenhagen a couple of years ago, and then they had some kind of weird insect dish so they had to eat like crunchy insects yeah in mexico yeah. they have that it's a normal yeah. it's like kind of common Chapuli, yeah. i can't remember what it is but it's like grasshoppers i think 
you're something no no they were more like grubs i don't even know what that means but it sounds disgusting they're sort of wormy like Ugh. yeah yeah no in nasty. mexico i think they're grasshoppers and uh i i eat caribou and peanuts caribou well that's that, peanut sauce that's fine that's good, yeah that's i don't a, like that's, that's an either. animal that suffered and so that that's oh that no, always tastes yeah, good no it's terrible <laughs> Uh, all right, so you know what's? If, I feel like not a lot happened this week, news-wise. It's it's not a controversial kind of a week. Are you being sarcastic? I don't know. What, like what? Cuomo. Oh, the Cuomo thing. Yeah. All right. Well, we have to talk about that because. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That that and did Chris happen. Chris Cuomo. The Chris Cuomo part of it is great. Yeah, I guess so. It's just it feels like the level of something has has gone down a little bit like last last summer was just pure acrimony every every single day right and you're, you're missing that i guess i i don't know I'm, I'm, you know as a media person maybe i am although yeah. I, it, it, I do feel happier maybe maybe everybody else does too so that's yeah, a good thing that's not good for us yeah so we'll, we'll just get into the Jump four in, food groups yeah. thing right so democrats suck republicans suck uh isn't that weird isn't that terrible there were there were a few things to to, to choose from this week uh in terms of democrats suck. I, I might actually go through a couple of them this is by ap so this is not coming from breitbart or fox news yeah. or anything like Damn that caller. yeah immigrant detentions soar despite biden's campaign promises uh, and the lead says, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a story. So it says Alexander Martinez says he fled from homophobia, government persecution, and the notorious MS-13 gang in El Salvador, only to run into abuse and harassment in America's immigration detention system. Since crossing the border illegally in April, the 28-year-old has bounced between six different facilities in three states. He says he contracted COVID-19, faced racist taunts and abuse from guards, and was harassed by fellow detainees for being gay. So then, blah, 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 goes down. Uh, the number of detainees has more than doubled since the end of February to nearly 2,700, uh, 27,000 as of July 22nd, according to the most recent data from the U.S. Immigration uh, and Customs Enforcement. That's above the roughly 22,000 detained last July under then-President Donald Trump, uh, although it's nowhere close to the record in August 2019 when the number of detainees exceeded 55,000 ice data shows the uh you know the, the gist of this is that is that Biden you know of course promised something very different uh as a candidate you know when, when he was running last year he was he was promising to to, to sort of either lo lower the number of uh the detentions and and scale back the the, the entire system uh and in, in in some of the coverage of this it's been interesting because there's been sort of blowback from pro Biden type apologists who said, well, look, the number of people who are coming in has risen. So therefore, these numbers make sense. Right. Additionally, they're bringing in COVID. Right. Uh, and so we have to close the border. But, you know, how different is that really from they're bringing disease and, and you know, the arguments that that uh, we heard Right you know, from from Republicans for ages, you know, and that and that uh, inspired uh, part of Donald Trump's famous um, or infamous uh, launch speech in 2016. So I don't know. I just think this is interesting. Like it's it's sort of the same old story. I wrote about this in my book, The Divide, which is uh, no matter what people say about detention when they run for uh, about uh, immigrant immigration when they run for office 
pretty much the situation regresses to the same mean every single time. They they end up tightening up the border patrols. They end up detaining more people. They end up taking sort of streamlining the process so that immigrants have fewer rights as once they get here. And this this is this just follows that pattern. You know, no matter it, it, it. you should basically never listen to what a politician says about right. immigration uh, on the campaign trail unless they have a proven record of doing something different, because it it, it pretty much always re- uh, results ends in more deportations, more detentions uh, and and more money spent on walls and guards and that sort of thing. What um, is it? Love Trump's. I mean, but but they do have the talking points down. Love Trump's hate. What else is it? Love wins. Yeah. So they say the right things. That's nice, right? Well, they don't call them rapists. Right. That's nice. But they it's, do say I mean, they're bringing I mean, disease, but but yeah. Right. Do, do they? I mean, every that's yeah, COVID, but whatever. It's if if Trump was saying that as you as you say, of course that would be terrible, but not just that. If if his policy was that, they would still object to it. Like we have to be, you know, we can be careful with COVID and test people and vaccinate them. Right. Right. Um, but this is this just reminds me of like the Obama situation, like Obama came in and then they immediately passed a pretty draconian law that like basically deputized every law enforcement officer in the country to become a de facto ICE agent. You had you had people running, running ICE checks on everybody who went through the criminal justice system. You know, even people who were like fish and game uh employees or in the park service, you know, were now, were now involved in this effort. And so, and you had this incredible spike in in the number of deportations, and but the what you see over time is that it just continually rises, Uh, and part of that is is because you know politically they're responding to what they think their their constituents actually want. Like no matter what they say, once people get in office, they 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 end up getting pressured to do this, and right. But so this is so the primary difference between Democrats and Republicans on this issue is that Democrats sound different when they talk about this. And then, of course, there was the the thing that Trump did where they were intentionally trying to right. separate, you know, kids from parents, which I think was, you know, a, a level more sociopathic. Right. A little next, next level yeah. sociopathy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way of. And this is not this is not to say that there aren't you know real issues that you have to grapple with with immigration. I mean, it's a there has to be some kind of policy, right? And I think Bernie's even talked about this in yeah, the past right. because there's this, this there's this tension between if you want to offer sort of you know a, a robust pro a series of social programs, there there has to be sort of some limits on or, or some kind of rational way of managing who who comes into the country, who gets to be a citizen, that sort of thing. Like there's a little bit of a tension between nationhood and borderlessness. You know, yeah, uh, although I think that I don't know. I mean, the, if you look at the numbers, I know what you're saying, but don't I guess it depends on whether they become documented or not, because like undocumented people make all these contributions that they don't reap the benefits of. Right. Like Social Security, they like pay into Social Security. Yes, they they, they, they Yeah, that's true that they, they also reap the benefits of things that they don't. So it, it goes both ways. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's more rational to make everybody documented who's here. Tax the rich slash the Pentagon. Right. But anyway, it, it, I, this this whole thing. And then, you know, this is in addition to the, the pattern that we've had since February, where this issue, whenever it pops up in the news, 
it kind of gets uh, shunted off to the side because nobody wants to deal with the obvious contradictions in the way that we're c- covering these things. Yeah. You know, what did like, they call it instead of cages? It's like enhanced. Yeah, migrant detention facilities. Right, yeah. that was the the Washington Post headline. So that 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 happened. They just announced that, and it's just one. It's the sort of pattern with Biden and immigration is that they uh, like the news gets announced almost like it, it's almost in the same manner as the as when they when George H W Bush announced pardons on Christmas Day. Like they they, they want to do it in the most low key manner possible, you know, with the least possible fanfare, and just people just don't talk about it that much. And shout out though to the actual like immigrants' rights organizations that are, you know acknowledging this and pushing back against this and calling it out right right absolutely well i mean immigration lawyers have yeah some of the most brutal jobs that there are i mean like that that's like a thankless profession yeah and then there's um this other thing i guess i guess we should just show right uh matt can we see the andrew cuomo kiss compilation oh my god that's great which by the way just to set this up this is not oppo this is andrew cuomo produced and presented so there was a uh, there was an attorney general's report, right, which uh, over, I think, what, 100 and something, 137 page report where they corroborated uh, a lot of the allegations. It's 165 pages, 165 pages. Oh, this is not this is how Cuomo responded. Like, this is what Cuomo thinks is damage control. This Andrew Cuomo made this montage. The New York Times published a front page picture of me touching a woman's face at a wedding and then kissing her on the cheek. That is not front page news. I've been making the same gesture in public all my life. I actually learned it from my mother and from my father. It is meant to convey warmth, nothing more. Indeed, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of photos of me using the exact same gesture. I do it with everyone, black and white, young and old, straight and LGBTQ, powerful people, friends, strangers, people who I meet on the street. After the event, the woman told the press that she took offense at the gesture. And for that, I apologize. Another woman stated that I kissed her on the forehead at our Christmas party and that I said, ciao, Bella. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'll say this. I, at first, when I heard about it, I was like, oh, okay, he says sweetheart, kind of uncomfortable and appropriate, but it's not the level of, of sexual harassment that, that other things reach. And then when I read the summary of the report, it was clear, I think, that like, you know, the things range from grabbing breasts to running fingers down, up and down the back. There were like 11 complaints, right? And all of them but one involved actual kissing, cupping of face, cupping of breasts. Yeah, uh, I, I, I read the report. Um, you read the whole thing? You're a really fast reader. I, I, uh, well, I read I read most of it this morning. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think my reaction was similar to yours. There, there are some things about the way this story has been covered that makes me uncomfortable. Like, we use terms like sexual misconduct 
in headlines and then you, you read the number of complainants and sometimes I think we don't do enough to distinguish between what whether it's Harvey Weinstein or whether yeah. it's you know just weird and inappropriate what you get the, the pattern that you get from the Cuomo thing is that this is somebody who has well, well for, first of all there, there's a couple of like like legitimately sort of a assaultive type moments, right? There's the grabbing of the, the reaching up the, the shirt and grabbing of the breast. There's a situation where he gives a promotion to a state trooper and is making sexually suggestive comments um, to her. And, and he sort of breaks the rules to give her the promotion. And uh, asks him to kiss her and runs his hand up her back and stuff in the elevator. Yeah. Right. And, and then there's this whole galaxy of stuff that, suggests that this this is a person who um just has serious boundary issues and you know his sort of manner of interacting with people is way too intimate you know he's he's constantly quizzing people about their relationship or status or whether they're lonely that just sort of like question or you know can you help me find a girlfriend what you know which sometimes can be like a way to try to test out the wonders to see if somebody's interested in you like that that comes up over and over again with multiple different witnesses in the report part part of me wanted to sort of poo-poo a lot of these 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 comments as being not massively serious on the you know sort of harvey weinstein matt lauer level but he is he is the governor how how this didn't come out before is, is is another interesting issue like uh if he's if he's going around sort of being serially inappropriate um, well we know why i mean he's totally intimidating uh and vindictive and they even tried to do that with this woman lindsey boylan right we know that he they released some stuff on her right we know that apparently he said to ron kim i'll destroy you he's a pretty like bullying he's really gross i mean i think what it speaks to though is like it isn't incredible to me that it he he's like was able to withstand this long. Um, and I think it's incredible that his that his cover up of nursing home deaths wasn't more of a fatal blow to his political career. Right. Yeah. And then there's, of course, the Chris Cuomo thing, which is really inappropriate. Glenn tweeted about this today. So Chris Cuomo, the CNN primetime CNN show host, was advising his brother and CNN actually gave him the option of taking a leave of absence while he was advising his brother, which he declined. And as Glenn points out, like he had him on his show when thing when he was like a positive light, right? When he was unfairly seen as this hero, this pro-science hero of, of COVID, even though we know he covered stuff up and wasn't actually as pro-science as people like to say. But as I've said on the show many times, because he didn't suggest putting bleach into people's lungs, he he was, you know, Trump was a great foil for him to seem like Right. Super responsible. But uh, you can't have someone on your show when they're doing well in the public eye and then not cover them when they're, you know, when there's a scandal. And, la- you know, so you had last night um, Cuomo had his hour long show, didn't mention it at all. And it was kind of an awkward handoff with Don Lemon, who said, I love you, brother, and then launched into the the story um about democrats calling on cuomo to resign it's really like the culture of impunity is just striking because even in may it was revealed that he was advising his brother and there are these emails from chris cuomo and then you see andrew cuomo like verbatim 
releasing a statement that almost verbatim um, repeats what Chris said. And when that was revealed in May, he called it a mistake. Andrew Cuomo, uh, Chris Cuomo acknowledged it was a mistake, but said, I'm family first, job second kind of guy, which again, it's like, you're saying this stuff out loud. How could he not recuse himself at that point? There are all sorts of lines that you used to not cross in in uh, the journalism world. Like you would never, you would never have somebody who you knew was a lobbyist or something on the air, um, and then not bring that up. Or you wouldn't have uh, somebody who was an anonymous source in one of your stories also on as a commentator on the same subject um later you know what i mean and but they serially break these these boundaries down and and uh, to me it's all part of the same thing where they have like you know former cia and and fbi agents on air and you know there used to be kind of a chinese wall between those sorts of people and the reporters right and there isn't anymore so yeah so the 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 governor has a brother who's who happens to be a hugely influential sort of news anchor but the re- the reason these things happen is because there's almost no pretense anymore that CNN isn't like an, a wing of the Democratic Party right. anyway so it the likelihood that that's going to throw up alarms within the company to the point where anything would happen is um, is low just to say the, the same as there's like very little pretense that there's much there's much difference between you know those those networks and what the State Department or the CIA or the Pentagon wants also right I mean they're essentially mouthpieces for for them as well so right. um, but yeah the, the, this relationship is um, is is absurd and, and, and indicative of how they how they look at all those ethical issues or don't look at them. Right. But, uh, but you know, the, the other thing about this, this Cuomo story that makes me wonder is what's the difference here between this guy and Joe Biden? Because the, the, the kind of stuff that's in the report, like it's most the of the stuff physically documented in photos and videos. Right. Biden. Yeah. Like sort of Biden's, got a long track record of, of this stuff. And it's actually worse with him because a lot, a lot of the people are that are children, um, yeah. you know, or, or, or at least minors, he, yeah. you know, uh, like Chris Coons's daughter, that's a terrible photo. There's that. And then there's the fact that he's, he gets physical with people with men as well. Right. right? Like he's, he, he's sort of regularly puts his fingers in people's chests or, yeah. Um, when when he's when he doesn't like the way a question has gone with somebody in the crowd, you'll often see him like you know, yeah, put a hand up and and it's it's not like a he's not like assaulting somebody, but he's but you know it's it's, it's aggressive a to assault adjacent for someone running for president. Right, right. Can you uh, imagine for one second if Bernie did that? Oh yeah, no, of course that would be. He'd be like arrested. Yeah, there'd yeah. be calls for his arrest at least. Right. Once he like like slap not slapped he like he like put his hand on aoc's shoulder and like he made a joke and people were oh, so oh they had that was that when they had the behavioral analysis uh oh well no that the body language now well, that language was now. actually when he turtled and lied about uh elizabeth warren uh what do we call her liz holio liz holio, L- liz holio. yeah yeah exactly yeah i saw so. that. that and they talked about his physicality 
Jesus. Yeah, his, his, what was it? His weirdy. Oh yeah, weirdy. Yeah, weirdy physicality. And um, then the woman said he turtled. Looked, his eyes were too low. It's so funny because like she was, she lied. She lied. She lied, not Bernie. Sorry, I really think, or at the very least, she misunderstood, misrepresented. To be charitable, she misunderstood what he was saying, and then had the audacity. I'll still remember that. Remember what he he went out to shake her hand, and she's like, "I think you lied." Oh yeah, oh I know that was so. That I was really so wanted to respect her. I really did. I want to respect her. Rehearse. Not as quite a progressive, but an ally. She and look, what did she get for that? By the way, nothing from Biden. Yeah, it's funny. She she did this sort of elaborate hardcore hit job, and and you, usually you get paid back with like a cabinet position for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think you get you should get state for that, don't you think? At least, if not Veep, <laughs> right? Maybe she should have said something in in addition to I don't think women uh, a woman can win the presidency. Then he grazed my knee or something like that. Yeah, then he hit right? me. Then he slapped me. <laughs> then he punched me in the face and called me and called me what? I'm just, I'm just trying to imagine Bernie, you know. Punching being, someone in the face. It's a little bit like that Dave Chappelle um, thing with Wayne Brady. You ever see that? Wayne Brady's like the nicest TV host in the world. And Dave Chappelle goes out with a uh, to, to go um, hang out with him and Brady ends up sort of shooting people and like wow. beating up prostitutes and stuff yeah. like that. It's it's sort of a joke. Yeah. So so Cuomo, I think the last thing we should ask about this is is this. I'm going to bet that this doesn't end his political career. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people are like, "What? Of course it will." But I'm I'm actually I agree. I think it could easily not. And, and for two reasons, uh, one is that he just you know he runs the state. He doesn't have to go. Um, they, they would have to bring some kind of action against him, which would take a while. Uh, he's not going to he's not going to pull a um, Al Franken and, 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 and you know, no. and hand grenade, grenade himself uh, instantaneously in the face of a bunch of tweets. He, he's going to hang in there. But also, I, I, I think there's like a uh, an instinct within the Democratic Party that, you know, especially after the Franken thing, they're going to they're going to say, Right. A lot of people regret that. Right. So right. Yeah. So let's no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Like we, we, we need our, our people in there. So let's not take the risk. And I, I bet I bet there's enough of that that keeps That's them around. Interesting. So you what how much are you willing to bet? Like what's your I don't even know what the over under thing is, but. Oh, well, there would. The, well, the over under would be like, how many months do you think that he would survive? Let's just say I thought the over the over under should be set at eight. And I would bet the over. I, I I bet that he survives more than eight months. And you'd bet the under that he survives oh, okay, fewer than it. eight months. I see. So what do you think the over under should be? I've. What about it won't end his governorship, but it'll end him having other things. Right. That's a kind of cautious thing. I think that's fair to say. I mean, it's nothing, it'll. There's no national ambitions after this. I don't think he's yeah. going to be running for president in any way. Although. And I think he would have. Besides that, right. Yeah. Although, don't forget that Joe Biden had had to yeah, bow out of right. two two uh, two presidential campaigns thanks to scandals previously. And uh, yeah, you're right. You know. But it didn't take him down from what he was doing. In other words, it right. didn't take him down while he was a senator. 
Right. Which is a, a little bit different. Yeah. God, what a fucked world we live in. Jesus Christ. Anyway, that happens. So, so what happened? Republicans suck. So for Republicans suck, I have a. I just thought we give me an excuse to talk about something I really love, which is ice cream. Uh, so as as we've talked about before, right? Ben and Jerry's um, made a decision to uh, stop selling their ice cream in uh, the occupied territories, mm-hmm. uh, which is it's also really funny because a lot of leftists and Zionists are like they're Zionists because they're like, and we still support the state of Israel, which is honestly, regardless of what you think, it's not a bad strategic thing to say, in my opinion. I think you can reach certain people that you wouldn't be able to reach had you just run with the and we don't want the state of Israel to exist. But anyway, <laughs> this is one of those cases where the same people who like to complain about canceling and and woke culture uh, are trying to cancel. So DeSantis is trying to take steps to punish ice cream company Ben and Jerry's for its high profile decision to stop selling its products in the Israel occupied Palestinian territories. Uh, and what they're doing is that they are uh, DeSantis nominated Ben and Jerry's and its parent company Unilever for uh, basically a divestment blacklist companies that boycott Israel are subjected to. So he's trying to create a boycott of Ben and Jerry's. Yesterday, the executive director and chief investment officer at the Florida State Board of Administration, SBA, Ash Williams, notified Governor DeSantis that Ben & Jerry's parent company, Unilever, had been added to Florida's list of scrutinized companies that boycott Israel. It's all cat. So it's F-L-S-C. Doesn't make a very good acronym. Um, L-S-C-B-E. Yeah. On, on July 22nd, Governor DeSantis sent a letter to Mr. Williams requesting that the SBA initiate the process of placing Ben and Jerry's and its parent company Unilever on the list following the company's announcement that it would remove its product and prohibit the sale of its ice cream in Judea and Samaria, which is hilarious in itself. If a company does not cease its boycott of Israel within 90 days of being placed on the list, it becomes subject to an investment prohibition and the state of Florida will not contract with the company or its subsidiaries. And here's what, uh, what DeSantis said. As a matter of law and principle, the state of Florida will not tolerate discrimination against the state of Israel or the Israeli people. By placing Ben and Jerry's Fortune 500 parent company Unilever on our list of scrutinized companies that boycott Israel, Florida is sending a message to corporate America that we will defend our strong relationship with the Jewish state. I will not stand idly by as woke corporate ideologues seek to boycott and divest from our ally Israel. So... This is his war on woke ideologues. This whole thing that the, the that the uh, that a lot of Republicans are doing, which is like let's fight cancel culture by kind of like being cancelers, being like, cancelers. Yeah, some of them think it's clever or funny, and it to me it just it just comes off as stupid. I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, uh, just, I think it's just straight up hypocritical. I mean, they're going for hypocritical. They right. think that's like that. They think they think that's like a, a a burn. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Right, but it's not. It's just stupid. Are are they or are they just opportunists? Like, do you think they think it's a burn? Like, they're like, ah, sick burn. I'm gonna. You you guys want to cancel me, but we're gonna. You want to cancel people, but we're gonna cancel you. Yeah, and I don't. I don't think it works. No, I mean, I I, I don't know if it. It, I don't think it harms them, though, because the people that it, I don't think that there are a lot of people out there who are really like ideological purists committed to anti-cancellation culture who are like, wait a second. But the boycott 
Right. No, I get it. I just no. I, this this is this is like clearly an over the top dick maneuver. Right. That that you're. What's the over under dick? What's your over under <laughs> dick? I don't think there. The, the, yeah, that doesn't. The over under doesn't fit in this this case. But yeah. but yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, DeSantis is kind of if, if you if you've seen his recent appearances, he looks he looks like someone who's really sure he's going to be the next president. I thought you were saying who's really short. Uh, I don't know if he's really short. Is he really short? So. He's awful. And he also, I mean, he's really corrupt. And remember when he was running against Andrew Gillum, he's, he told Floridians, who's black, he told Floridians not to monkey it up. He's been awful, awful, awful on COVID, obviously, as people know. It's also it's interesting because his, his vaccine rollout passed over essential workers and teachers and targeted seniors first, where he has considerable support. And it was yeah. in wealthier areas. He's already made thir- raised thirty-one million for his re-election campaign. You got uh, five million from Chicago hedge fund manager Kenneth Griffin, two point eight million from the Republican Governors Association. DeSantis to me looks he 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 he's my early favorite for who who's going to get the nomination because yeah. it's not it's not going to be Hawley. I just think the weenie factor is just too big with Hawley. Like, like he, physically, he looks like he. There's just something about him that's just kind of like I don't know. He the 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 classic Republican nominee is sort of a, a bombastic, overconfident oaf, you know, right. and that's that's not who Hawley is. Although I guess George H. W. Bush wasn't that person either. Although he he was a war uh, hero, so well, or he right. was a veteran, so that 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 counted. But no, but he really looks like he's Hawley has a very narrow head. Like so Good does point. what's his name? So Who? does um Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton. They both look like they were caught in an elevator. Hmm. Maybe they were riding the same elevator. Who's taller, Cotton or Holly? I'm gonna bet Holly's taller. Hey, how how tall do you think he is? Five eleven. This one says five eleven. Good. Wow. Well done, Matt. Okay, now Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton. I'm gonna guess is five ten. What do we got, Wilson? What he's six five? I was actually going to say six one, but I was got a little scared. Okay, so here's my theory, and I'm right. He, holy you know shit, why? basketball he's player, six yeah. five. Okay, here's what I was thinking. How old is he? How tall is Holly? Five ten, you said. Five eleven. Five eleven. All right. This is. I thought this happened. They were riding an elevator together, and it jolted. There were some complications in the elevator. It shook. Cotton was behind Holly, and then all of a sudden they found themselves in between the elevator doors, which closed on both of their heads. Now, that sounds not realistic, but for the significant height difference. Oh, I see. Okay. It was like one on top of the other. I knew my theory was right. Tom Cotton's neck is also quite long. He's a giraffe. Who's the person who really looks like a, he doesn't look like, he looks like a Gumby Q-tip or something. Then Bezos is the one who looks like an actual penis. Well, yeah, Be- Bezos. Well, that's that goes without saying. saying yeah. Tom Cotton is sort of like if you took Paul Ryan and you and you put him on the rack for a couple of years. Yeah, it's Paul Ryan times Gomer Pyle, like divided by Mike Huckabee plus height. All right, so uh, for isn't that weird? We had to go back to a a, a show staple. Uh, penis. Yes. The New York Post headline, penis snakes pop up in, you guessed it, Florida. Then it shows a picture of uh, this 
snake that is now apparently prevalent. So the the lead goes like this: the manaconda is constricting the, the sun, sh- sunshine state. I like that lead. It's a little iffy for me because you know the manaconda's got some porn connotations that I don't know if they want to go there. But wait, um, what's manaconda? Is my yeah. anaconda don't want none unless you've got buns, hun? Right, exactly. Okay, I remember. So I remember the is is a pun. Yeah, it's uh-huh. yeah. Uh, okay, so then it goes on. Thought California's flotilla of sea penises wasn't phallic enough. Enter the penis snake, <laughs> similar a similarly manhood shaped invader that's causing a hubbub in Florida. Very little is known about these animals in the wild. Uh, Florida herpetologist Coleman Sheehy told Creative Loafing of the member-evoking creature, which first surfaced in the state two years ago. Authorities had captured a two-foot-long specimen at the C4 Canal near Miami International Airport and put it in captivity, where it unfortunately died of starvation. Uh, Why? Why did they starve it? I mean, maybe they couldn't couldn't find anything it would eat. Uh, Its remains were subsequently sent to the Florida Museum of Natural History, where the DNA analysis identified the penile critter as a Caecilian, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, or a Sicilian, Caecilian, uh, a type of virtually blind legless amphibian that resides in the jungles of South America and Asia. This particular species, which is endemic to Venezuela and Colombia, had never been observed in the U.S. before creative loafing reported. What is creative loafing? I have no idea. Is um, it like a bread, bread making magazine? Uh, I have no idea. Uh, this was not in my radar, exclaimed she. He had, uh, I didn't think we'd um, one day find a Castilian in Florida. So this was a huge surprise. Um, colloquially known as a penis snake due to its phallic countenance, the noodle-shaped creature, they just did this too many times. The, the noodle-shaped creature hunts by using a pair of face tentacles to detect snails, lizards, and other prey. Uh, thankfully, Despite growing up to five feet long, the creature doesn't pose a threat to humans. So, okay, they tried a lot of laugh lines in that in that article, but I have to say the better job was done by this article by IF Science. So, okay, so this is uh, heads up, America. The penis snake has entered Florida already. Kudos, right for the pun. Right. Heads up. The other, the other, the the post also used the entered uh, thing. And the picture is definitely better. Like this is a better. Hold on, let me see. Where are we? Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is that looks like a finger. Looks like an eat a fattened up ET finger. It does. Yeah. It's really gross. It is. It is really gross. Cassilians are a too often overlooked member of the amphibians. That's perfect, right? Mm -hmm. This is how you're supposed to write this kind of story. But one species is currently making a name for itself in Florida. Following a chance discovery a few years ago, surveys have revealed that one particular Cassilian may have dragged its way to permanent residency in the United States for the first time, as DNA analyses and specimens appear to show that the non-native amphibian having set up uh, appear to show the non-native amphibian having set up camp in a canal. That's where may you ask? Canal. Okay. Right. Yes, right. Exactly. Uh, where may you ask? Florida, meet the penis snake. It's not penile enough. Oh, you mean the writing or the way it looks? The way it looks. Yeah. Uh, Wilson, can we go back to the, the, the first article that Matt was reading from and look at thousands of penis fish? Let's. Uh, it's a callback. But can we just, can we, uh, now that was, a, that was, pe- that was penile. Oh my God. Now that is just absolutely awful. They look uncircumcised. 
Ew, that one looks like it has a K written on it. No wonder it spoke to me. Okay. Matt, if we can look at that video that I that I found, like 10 things in nature that look like a penis. Oh my God, what is that? Interestingshit.com, I love that. Being a dick just comes naturally to some things. This poor tree <laughs> just wants to stand around and be made of wood all day. No, the kind of wood used to build things. Wow, that really does look like. That's not funny. This is a worm. It's scientifically called the Priapulita. They have separate sexes with branching tufts opening in the worm's anus. Super sexy. That's Peter Pepper, funny. a member of the capstone family. Ah, hot chili pepper. Oh, yeah, it does really, actually, the tip. Uh, if your um, trouser snakes look like the actual one, the asters. Okay. Yeah, that's really disgusting. It's an Amazon. Cacti, long, fuzzy, tube-shaped plants with bulbous-shaped... Oh, don't get too close or you'll get pricked. That well, that's not fair. Is that really what they look like? They have testes. Yep. The proboscis, the proboscis monkey has a very distinctive face. One part I don't WCC, know about that. One part penis lives in Borneo. No, I don't think so. The common that looks like mushroom. a penis. Yeah, phallus. Yeah, it's known for its foul, musty odor akin to decaying animals. Whoa. And that shit is funny. The albino penis envy mushroom. Yeah, no, I know really, that's its name. It's a magic I, mushroom, of course, aren't they all? Yeah, actually, I've, I've they, they sell those muscular mollusks. Gooey ducks. Mollusk. What's that? Um, they are a type of sort of clam. Ah. I've gone gooey ducking. What? And yeah, this is and a cock tree. Eh, I don't see it, but it's used as an aphrodisiac in Costa Rica, so that it kind of that's kind of on brand. Yeah, so penis thing and arrives in florida um that's weird i guess dicks, a lot of dicks in florida yeah Not that weird i don't think it's uh in, in order to make this this show that that segment really work like it had to be more dick like although i think we, i appreciate the writing of the second story anyway yeah. uh what do we have for isn't that isn't that terrible so for isn't that terrible i mean i'll give you know what i'm gonna i'll i'll give people a i'm gonna throw people a bone because uh, I'm going to get a little serious for Isn't That Terrible. But first, let me just give you this one so that you guys, throw, let me throw you guys some red meat. N whoa, no pun intended. Big Mac Rat braves traffic to get all beef patties and special sauce. So if we can just look at the, the um, video. There's a rat, like, grabbing a Big Mac. I love it. Uh, and it's, I guess it's not that, I mean, then it like jumps. So it drags it across the street and it's like the size of, I mean, it's actually what do you, I think it's bigger than the rat, not in length, but definitely in diameter or circumference or area. What would it be a area? Right. I guess uh, mass, right. Mass. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I guess it's, it's a happy ending. He gets it across the street and we can only assume he almost hits the, he almost hits the curb. But he makes it, and I'm I'm hoping and assuming he'll be able to open it. And I think you know it comes full circle with our hamburger discussion. This uh, there's a McDonald's not far from where I live, and you know it has one of those trash bins that you don't have to get out of your car to, to access, right? Uh, but there's like a family of crows that just watches uh, whatever uh, when when people put stuff into the into the uh, oh, trash wow. bin, and so you constantly see these crows eating like whole big mac patties um and they look so happy like they look st like 
if I were a crow, I'd probably be doing that all day long, you know? Um, so yeah. I'm all in favor of that rat. That's a, that's a great get. Yeah. Him. And he's being compared to the pizza rat. So here's a rat in New York grabbing in the subway tracks, grabbing a slice of pizza. Which, you know, I'm really, I'm kind of surprised that neither one of these grosses me out that much. I think because we've actually seen violent rat videos that absolutely grossed me out. This is kind of a victory for both rats. I mean, if it was a rat, like eating the face of an adorable child, that would probably gross me out. But yeah. this is a rat eating pizza and, and a, yeah, I and a Big right. Mac. I mean, good for them. Dragging. Know? Well, we, we, we're deprived of, of seeing either one eat them, but we can only hope. Right. Anyway, but but the real isn't that terrible this week is a story about friend of show Nina Turner. Now, I did say if she won, it was because Jennifer Farmer, who we had on last week, came on. I also said if she didn't win, it's because Nina herself didn't come on. I'm just saying Nina had come on twice before, but not when she was running. There, there's a lot of stuff to take from Nina Turner not winning. The biggest thing for me is that this is going to continue happening as long as uh, the sort of Bernie Turner wing um, just reflexively gives the votes to the Democrats um, every single time after they get manipulated and shut down and stomped upon by the National Party. You have to threaten to take your votes elsewhere if you want to be treated differently by the party. Since they never do that, there, there's no reason why the National Party wouldn't do this. They they. They don't have any right any fear of consequence. Right. So what they what when there is a um, an election where there could be like a big symbolic victory, this is what they're going to do. They're going to spend a gazillion dollars and pull out all the stops and all the media stops and everything to make sure that there isn't a breakthrough moment for for this kind of this kind of candidate. So that's what that's why you have to you have to start saying you know in an election and people don't I, I get that people don't agree with this because they think it's going to result in trump winning the presidency which it might you know uh but the reality is like if you if you want to be something more than a footnote you know you got to play hardball and they just won't i just by the way so so turner lost to Chantel brown and i think what's so and you're saying that like of course the democratic establishment would intervene on the on behalf of of turner because well they, sorry of, in, on behalf of Chantel Brown um ha, can you just so how would it so and, here's, and they're going to do that because democratic vote democrat voters will never punish them for doing that like how would it work like let's say it's 2016 or you know June 2020 and Joe Biden is the nominee and he's he's in a tight race with with Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders has a choice between energetically campaigning for Biden and, um, you know, pulling a slowdown, right? Like he, he, he could have said, oh, yeah, you know, I, I'm not feeling so well, like feeling a little ill and I'm not going to instruct my my volunteers to stay, you know, to, yeah. to, to go out and canvas. So here's what I want, right? Um, if you want me to go out and get all those votes for you, you got to, you know, lay the fuck off my candidates when they right. when they run um, and give us a shot and give us a voice and give us committee assignments and give us stuff and give us some stuff in the platform, too. Right. Because they they're it's not like you're asking for charity. You're you're, you know, 38 to 
40 something percent of the democratic electorate you you, you should non-intervention yeah you should you, sh you should be able to negotiate for yourself not having a massive intervention at the primary level anytime somebody gets near winning uh, right. a congressional seat so to me a lot of this is just on bernie and and huh, that's interesting i haven't the, seen that many people make that argument i mean it makes sense it makes sense have you seen other people make that argument yeah i mean i think i think people have made it i, th I know glenn said it well i know uh, he said that they have no plan as pushback but he also was talking he also mentioned that Ber that like because this is different from they need a plan yeah this is like this is a bernie specific Bernie needs to set this thing up or really set something up so that the Dems don't feel so the DNC doesn't feel totally free to intervene because well what happened here is that she was winning right and then obviously Clyburn Clyburn endorsed Chantel Brown Hillary Clinton endorsed Chantel Brown what's interesting also is that uh I didn't know this until today I was looking at uh at these stories Clyburn said that the reason he said, I personally got involved when I was invited by the Turner campaign. They talked about my stupidity for endorsing Joe Biden. And I just kind of decided if I'm going to be stupid, might as well be stupid. What the hell is that? That's weird and petty and like an overshare, I think. Well, the whole thing's petty. Yeah. So what, what have you looked into the Jewish vote, which is like something people are really uncomfortable talking about? Um, but have you looked into those demographics? Because no. Okay. As we said, the DMFI, right? Democratic Democrats for um, something Israel. Yeah. Uh, they donated a shit ton of money to this campaign. The oh, oh, the 11th district has a lot of Jewish neighborhoods in it. The Jewish co-host said, by the way, I'm Jewish. Gives me a lot of freedom to talk about this. So there was this whole controversy on Twitter where, you know, Bill Sherr, Mm -hmm. He got into it with Sirota and Brianna Joy Gray, who both worked for obviously for Sanders campaign. Bill Sher, by the way, full disclosure, he once interviewed me for a piece on Tim Kaine and said, and this was over email, and he said I scoffed. But how can you scoff over email? Anyway, if you scroll up, so so David Sirota wrote, uh, Nina Turner ran a brave campaign. More Dem voters supported her corporate opponent. Not just because an overwhelming amount of super PAC money was spent to destroy Nina, but also because in general, more Dem voters want a corporate government than something else. This is reality, which is an interesting thing from from Sirota to kind of a new argument from him where he's talking about what Democratic voters want. But to be fair, that's like the, there there's a whole swath of people who just don't vote who could be brought in. And I think they don't want corporate government. And then Bill Sher says, Ohio 11 voters, majority African-American, majority working class, non-college, median household income of 42K, 26K less than the national median, love corporate government. So he was trying to own uh, Sirota with that. And then there's a graph that was also shared by uh, Brianna Joy Gray. I think it's showing that DMFI gave a ton of money. And then this guy who I kind of can only call a prick, Kirk A. Botto, do you see that? Who writes, as much as I appreciate folks copying my work to spread baseless theories, let's not. Let's not. This graphic was just charting, i.e. Uh, spending, uh, internal expenditure, spending. 
if you account for candidate spending and outside spending, then Turner actually spent more than Brown. So yeah, so not exactly the most honest source cherry picking here. Reminds me of all the lunatic nuts going uh, over our chart showing the blue shift in November. So this is a guy at 538. I can't even begin to imagine. I, I thought it was like kind of painful watching these guys who do graphs complain about how the riffraff takes advantage of their graphs, especially when I don't think that they're actually describing reality. Right. You know, it's just so gross. And then if we could just, I'm sorry, if we could just, here's my, what I would, I want to make a graph because I found a stunning correlation between guys in this thread who sound like pricks and look like pricks. Can you just click on kick a Kirk a Bado's face and then Jeffrey Skelly's? And this is not, I'm not, this is not like calling them unattractive. They just look, they have big prick energy. I like the burrito. And then the next, can we look at the next guy? It'd be so funny if he had a burrito too. I know. That's big prick energy. Come on. No. Is he like grayscaled or something? What did they do to that? I think maybe is that from 538? Do they have, is that their color scheme? What if he has a disease and actually we're being really ableist and he has. Yeah, exactly. That would right. be good. Well, it's a, Matt, it's a, do you it's see the genetic color of disorder? Um, yeah, no, I approve. I don't know color how colorblind you are. I didn't want to make any assumptions. It looks blue to me. Yeah, it is blue. You're right. The whole thing about whose voters ended up causing this um, this result. It, it, first of all, it was, it was a six point win, so it, it. Yeah, that's what some right. I mean, that's it's not like it was neck and neck. It it was. But it was how many votes did she lose by? I think it was not that many. Well, it's a congressional vote, so right. it can't it can't have been a million, you know. I mean, it's it's always going to be pretty small. But six points is 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 more than a little bit of a margin, you know. So, yeah. but she well, was I, leading before. I, you know, I I I think what's what Sirota is saying is there's a possibility that this the fact that this kid this candidate who was ahead had plenty of money, had national profile, and still lost you know, could force a little bit of a rethink uh, about what the strategy is, because either the, the electorate just doesn't want it, is which is what Sirota is kind of saying, or there's something else, you know, that they yeah. have to think about. And I don't I don't know what that would be. I mean, I think that the big thing you can you can say that you have to think about is that we need to. Yeah, it is, I think, a 538 thing. They have their photos with like so it's not a it's not an inherited not so we're fair yeah, genetic, it's not inherited yeah. genetic thing yeah i think that like the the big thing to think about though is that we can't discount and this is really uncomfortable to talk about luckily you have a jewess on this show it is uncomfortable to talk about but there was a lot of money put into to uh targeting jews and uh there are a lot of them in in that district so uh, not that Jews aren't Democrat voters, obviously. I don't even know how to say this without sounding super problematic. I, I do think that we constantly talk about what Democrat voters want, and we have to remember that a lot of them just are lapsed or were never registered, but would register as Dems, which is a failure of the Dems on a different level. Right. I don't know what Sirota's solution is. I don't know either, and I can't think of it in, in 18 seconds. Yeah. So. Uh, all right. Well, we're, we're going to move on now to this uh, amazing interview that yes, we have, and let's interview. let's yes. let's go talk about that. Let's go talk about that. So let's tell people about who our guest is today. Very exciting. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I'm very excited. This is somebody who I've admired for a really long time. You uh, say that like I'm not excited. No, I, I can clearly see that you're excited. Uh, this is a writer named Walter Kern, uh, who's the author of uh, many books. And actually, people probably uh, know him best um, for a, a movie that a book, a book that he wrote that became a movie starring George Clooney uh, called Up in the Air. But he's an extremely uh, sort of funny writer who's uh, who's had a very long and varied career in media. He's written for Time magazine, for Harper's. Uh, he's been a you know a regular political journalist. He's been an essayist, a short story writer. Uh, he's written novels on multiple topics, and uh, he's now on Substack. And he's got a he's got a terrific Substack. Uh, uh, his latest uh, article, which is called "The Bullshit," which I uh, I thought was one one of the most succinct and sort of satisfying descriptions of what consuming modern media is about. Um, so we wanted to have him on to talk about a bunch of things, including um, uh, internet surveillance, because he wrote a novel about that, among other things. And just a really funny guy, looking forward to it. Let's, let's, let's talk to, uh, to Walter Kern. Thanks for coming on, Useful Idiots. And wel- welcome also to Substack, belatedly. A lot of stuff we wanted to ask you about. Uh, your your last piece was was so cool. Uh, I think we want to kind of delve into that because yeah. it's it hits with a lot of themes that we've talked about on the show. Frankly, one thing I just want to say before we get into that, if I can, Matt, mm-hmm. uh, is that my mom is a big fan of yours, which I'm sure you're used to hearing. But she taught your uh, essay on uh, your parents' divorce. Oh, yeah, sure. And she that- included it in a, a book called like the American Reader, American Values Reader, subversively titled. Uh, wow. So that's in there. Is that too. a homeschooling text? It sounds no, like it's it. not. It's a, I know it sounds that way. It's the opposite. She's a okay. kind of unrepentant leftist. But uh, okay. yeah, so Nora Eisenberg is her name. I'll send you a copy of the, the book in case you want to see yourself. She's a novelist, too. But this is, you know, she also writes about writing. I love I love those textbook inclusions because that's you know the only purchase I have on the sixteen year old mind. <laughs> um, that's excellent. Yeah. Excellent. You mentioned Substack in in, in a recent PC wrote called uh, the bullshit. Obviously, you've worked in legacy media. Uh, you talked about working at Time Magazine. You've written for Harper's back in the day you've been in publishing you've been, how many books you've written eight or nine something like that yeah eight nine yeah you have perspective on all of this what's going on with the media right now and why are people uh, coming to a place like substack and what's the problem with the sort of mainstream media landscape that is driving people away if that's in fact what's happening well i mean I, to put it in really layman's language, they've been wrong about so much. <laughs> and in, in the same way for so long that people finally woke up to the fact that uh, their independence, their skepticism, and their basic uh, sense of mission had been either compromised or had been compromised a long time ago. And it was finally just revealed by behavior that was so egregious and so... I think, frankly, patronizing that they wanted to go to the writers themselves and to the, you know, the news gatherers, the reporters. Substack, you know, is a technology that came along, you know, either fortuitously at the right time or as a result of this legacy media kind of wipeout. And and so 
I compare it to the Hollywood studio system. There was a time when you were on contract with the studio and you sort of lived your life and you performed according to their dictates. And then suddenly stars outgrew that system and were able to uh, make their own deals. And, and strangely, publishing being an industry that is about a hundred years behind everything else in our society. It's <laughs> so true. <laughs> um, uh, we, we reached that point recently. But you know, the way I knew the media was going wrong or the legacy news media, as it were, was when I was writing in 2016 about Trump and his nascent uh, campaign and Bernie Sanders' nascent campaign. And I was seeing on, in the coverage of both campaigns, a kind of desperate attempt to diminish, sideline. Trump was, Trump was obviously great fodder for ratings and so on, but the content of the coverage was pretty slanted. And, and frankly, as, as was the coverage of Sanders, you know, I, I'd see him after debates when they wouldn't even interview his spin doctors until the very last segment after a couple of commercials when everybody had tuned out the post debate. Um, <laughs> and there's that famous image of him, of Trump's empty lectern uh, while Bernie was actually delivering a speech oh and boy. all the networks were just on an empty podium of Trump. Yeah. So, so I, I, I saw that they, it's not that they had just picked sides. They had picked one side and that one side was, the establishment, as it were, whatever we want to call it, you know, I'm going to start a dictionary of names for the establishment, you know, the deep state, now they're calling it the overstate, the man, the system, whatever. I think America finally had enough media awareness after being taught in high school, you know, to look for bias, and so on, that they suddenly were able to see with new eyes, just how slanted and not just slanted, how silly and contradictory and, and boring too and, also and yeah. oh, you're right boring and you know that and that speaks to having worked at time magazine where boredom was a virtue our job was to take things that might be upsetting to america and somehow boil them down into terms you know they probably would i'm sure they were doing this in the vietnam war you know they found a way to make that a non-controversial thing for as long as they possibly could, I'm sure. Yeah, I love the way you put it. It was something, it was something about sort of grinding everything down to a moderate shared reality, which, yes. um, but you know, there was something kind of reassuring even about that back in the day. It was dull, but you know, it, it, it served it, a purpose. Comfortably but, dull. Well, Time Magazine, I mean, in a way its name means boring. It means, <laughs> it, it, it means that everything is reduced to this just sort of mealy-mouthed procession of moments, all of which are equal. Um, it's not, you know, crisis magazine. It's not event magazine. Newsweek, the same thing. They, they suggested that the units of human experience are all equal and things happen and here's what's happening last. So anyway, but as I, at, at, once Trump was elected, I remember a Washington Post article called Prop or Not. It was, it was referring to some shadowy organization which had distinguished between Russian propaganda news or Russian influence news and news we could trust. And it had this long list. And the list of things that Russia supposedly had its hand in included counterpunch on the left. And then I think the Drudge Report on the right. And I thought, so if the Washington Post is now setting itself up 
as a censor of other media. And if that family of censored media is just about everything that isn't as establishment as the Washington Post, I've got a problem because I can only read of things once they have been processed through consensus uh, power politics. I want to read them earlier. I want to read them when they're, I want to read about events when they're new, when they're still uh, generating, uh, you know, uh, excitement and controversy and so on. I don't want to simply receive the party line every day for purposes of repetition. And so I started going away from it, you know, and, and, and I'd written for the New Republic. Um, I was their national editor, you know, Time, obviously. Many magazines I'd had a sort of similar mid mid hierarchy position where I was usually reporting on things that didn't happen in New York. That was usually my, (laughs) you know, I I used to get assigned by time. I live up in Montana and they'd say, there's a forest fire in New Mexico. Can you get to it? Because it's it's the same thing to them. It's only 1200 miles away, you know, on one side of the coast. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, they they should have neither coast editor, Walter Kern, you know? Um, Yeah. That's really funny. One of the things I think that, that distinguishes you, and I want to ask about this, is you know you have a real flair for the, like the the colorful colorful turn of phrase. You know you have a sense of humor, clearly recognizable prose style. I'm I'm wondering what your experience was over the years. It was in all those legacy media organizations where it felt like you know I, I landed in a place ultimately where that was okay. Um, but, but, uh, in most places, uh, they, you know, they, they really struggle against it. Um, and they have difficulty sort of creating sort of live copy, something that's interesting. It's almost like they want to add a layer of dullness to it. Was, was that your experience? And do you, do you think that that's part of what's going on with, with legacy media is just their, their, their inability to be or the reluctance to be interesting or original? Well, at Time Magazine, I used to have a joke that, uh, so one of the things I did was write cover stories for Time. Mm-hmm. And cover stories at Time are like, uh, you know, a, a Midwestern casserole. Uh, they are the result of contributions from 10 different people, <laughs> all of whom funnel their reporting up to a writer who turns them all into a gluey paste. And <laughs> the, the, the problem at time was we ended every big article on a major issue in the same way. We always said this. Some experts believe this, while others believe that. But one thing is for sure. Time will the tell. Issue is, the issue is not settled and time will tell. <laughs> and, and, and I thought, if that's how everything's going to end, then why do we even have the part at the beginning where it seems like there's a live uh, matter, you know, in dispute. But I think they've moved on from that ending now because now it seems that rather than the sort of neither nor either and ending, you get the same ending every time, which is the anti-vax, the Russian bots, the um, Republicans, the Trump followers, the people in the middle of the country, the outsiders are once again making trouble and are wrong. You know, it's as though when the New York Times announced that new policy under Trump that they were going, you know, I think their media columnist wrote a sort of uh, manifesto of- Trump Trump is testing the norms of objectivity and journalism. Yeah, yeah, yes. At that point, everything slid over to one side. And I began to miss the 
you know, uh, some experts say, others experts disagree, yeah. endings, because I was like, how can the same group be at fault in every phenomena? How can Putin be behind every aspect of American descent? How can every difficulty in our social experiment be the fault of the same people in Toledo, Ohio? As I say in that essay, The Bullshit, I think in a way I, I mourned slightly the overtly meaningless, boring <laughs> story for the stories that are boring because you know where they're going every time from the headline, you know, the Atlantic. Can we afford free speech? You know, <laughs> well, we know what they're going to say. Kind of no. Um, <laughs> you know. So like the the McCarthyite the McCarthyite pieces make you miss the platitudes of the former pieces. Well, at least the platitudes threw it back on the reader. Yeah, you know, at least they said to the reader, "We have now presented in a completely even-handed and confusing way all the evidence." And you know, though you though we don't want to say what this adds up to, perhaps you have an opinion. Right. Now it's. Now it challenges you to have any other opinion but the received opinion. And, and the problem with the received opinion is I always knew what it was when I worked at these magazines. It, it was always clear that the consensus among, let's call them the elites or the, the, the top of the masthead or the insiders, it was always pretty much the same. But they had the modesty not to announce it in every aspect of the piece and now that and and insist upon it right and insist upon it yes and even and even bend data and empirical uh reporting to support it in a way that it's as though writers before were used as kind of um filters to 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 make the pablum and now they are used as marionettes or they all agree which is even scarier um, they've maybe sufficiently purged these outlets of people who are either contrary, gadflies, skeptics, or just real reporters. Because, Matt, I'm sure you've had this experience. You're sent out to get a story. You're told kind of in advance of doing any reporting what the story is, what they expect you to find. You find something quite different and you come back and try to write the piece. And they dispute your actual experience on the ground. You know, I saw this happen with Michael Tracy when he was reporting on the riots. You know, he he would go out and say, you know, wow, in Minneapolis, black business people aren't so happy uh, with BLM, you know, setting fire to this particular area of black Minneapolis. And, And people would just dispute the fact that he'd even been told that by people when reality itself is at stake it's hard to not break off from that system because it seems to have left reality for a kind of milder form of regime propaganda, which, which it then editorializes constantly about the need for, you know, someday I feel like the New York times is going to run an editorial that says, we know that we contradict ourselves. We know that we gave ourselves a Pulitzer for a story about the Russian penetration of the Trump regime that was wrong. But here's why we did it and why it's good. And here's why it's good. Um, it's good that your Substack came out after the uh, prop or not list, or you could have found yourself on it. 
Oh, I'm sure I will ultimately, because the proper knot list was a rather Flintstones crude primordial version of what, you know, the algorithm does every moment, you know, it it was preparing us. It was like a cave painting of the, of the super AI powered censorship to come. It was refreshingly honest, actually, now that we're talking about it. Helpful, right? It told us where they were going to be shifting away. What the article never did, though, was tell us who was behind prop or not, or what the criteria were for selecting these places. Um, Everything that would have been at least in the second paragraph of that story. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Where was the editor on that story, right? Maybe... I mean, I still don't know what proper knot was. I, it, it seems to have become an elusive, you know, uh, a, a now forgotten. It was like ultra Snopes or something. But but we know, but we now know that Snopes is a couple of people in England or wherever it is. Um, and we never found out who they were. You you said something on a related note. You wrote something I thought was really great in your piece, your bullshit piece at Substack. Yeah. Uh, if I can just quote it, the information it imparts, if one bothers to sift through it, is information about itself, about the purposes, beliefs, and loyalties of those who produce it, the informing class. They're not the ruling class, not quite, but often they're married to it or share therapists or drink with it at Yale Bowl football games. They're cozy, these tribal cousins. They cavort. They always have. What has changed is that the press used to maintain certain boundaries in the relationship, observing the incest taboo. It kept its pants zipped, at least in public. It didn't hire ex-CIA directors, top FBI men, NSA brass, or other past and future sources to sit beside its anchors at spotlit news desks that blocked our view of their lower extremities, but it gave in. (laughs) I'm so glad that can make you laugh, dude, because you're one of the few real writers out there on uh, on, on topical events that makes me laugh. So, (laughs) you know, here's the deal. We always had an intelligence um, and defense establishment. And one of their great powers and prerogatives was to massage the news, to feed stories, to feed real ones, false ones, to compartmentalize our information about the world. They've got budgets that run to the tens of billions of dollars for just these purposes. We act as though these never, these these tactics never get used domestically. But in fact, I think what we saw over the last few years was a complete, and Glenn Greenwald's great on this, was a complete merger. You know, your brother works at Time, the sister works at the State Department, dad used to work at the State Department, somebody's in-law is in the administration. That's often the pattern of the family life of the American journalist, of the legacy journalist, you know what I mean? I had CBS News and Ben Rhodes is the spokesman for the administration. Yeah, Ben Rhodes. I I went to not to be. I went to Dalton. An ex boyfriend of mine went to Collegiate, and I and his good friend was Ben Rhodes. So well, I got so to hang went, out with so him after college. Dal- yeah. At Dalton, they give you an actual map of the establishment to hang in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you you're not supposed which, to know that. You see which schools, you know. Well, maybe it's St. Anne's where they do it now. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. what I was going to say is the compartments for the establishment or the, the, the fi- they used to call them firewalls, like, uh, you know, between journalism and government firewalls, as though no roaring fire could ever burn through them. 
dude, they step over them. It's like hopscotch lines now. Now you don't know when you turn on the TV and you see a CIA director, whether he's being interviewed exactly. as, as a source or he's giving the news. Yeah. I mean, uh, they're all, they're chums and, and they're openly chums, which is the part that you always knew when you worked in New York media, but they never paraded it before. You know, you never had top spies at, in other words, AKA professional liars on TV. Yeah, it's it's amazing that uh, when you, when you talked about how the they may not be the ruling class, but they're married to it or they sit next to it at the elbow. I was reminded of a book by um, a former uh, Biden aide named Jeff Conanton, and he uh, he described the, the sort of society in Washington. He called it the blob because right. there's like a whole just a mass of people who are sort of intermarried or, you know, and they the, the affiliations don't make any sense superficially. Right. You might have a Democratic aide who's married to a lobbyist who works in a Republican uh, shop, you know, that it doesn't matter at all. It's just there are there are a bunch of like minded people. But the the system used to be function because it was kind of half hidden. Right. And and that was that was a huge strength of it. Now, now as you say, they've removed the stricture against sort of palling around with the with the people who are supposed to be, who are supposed to be at arm's length and that sort of thing. And um, I, I think I think it's just made it confusing as a as a news consumer, you know, even having worked in the business. Like, I I, I, I don't know if this is your reaction as well, but I look, I, I often don't know exactly what I'm getting. Uh, is is this like an official statement? Is this an opinion? Um, like what's going on? You know, I, I and then you have then you have people uh, and I have to mention his name. And even if this doesn't resonate with anyone, there's this character on Twitter uh, now writes for the Atlantic named Tom Nichols. And I remember getting in a fight with him in the summer of 2016 before the election. He was pushing hard on the, you know, Trump is the, the P tape stuff and the dossier stuff. Actually, it was even before that had come out. Is this and, Radio Free Tom, professor, yeah, author of our own worst enemy? curmudgeon yeah. cat guy democracy enthusiast board of contributors us today contributing right to the atlantic yes you know you you know that a uh, uh, an officer in a foreign army is a despot by how many medals they wear on their chest <laughs> and, and, and you know by tom nichols resume that he is basically a servant of despots by by how many uh, credentials he give him, gives himself anyway i was arguing this with this guy i said I don't know, this Russia thing doesn't seem to have a lot of evidence. We've got this crowd strike, this private company telling us things. Um, they would seem to be worth investigating to find out what their biases are, um, but we're not. We're taking this as gospel. And, I got, and, and then this guy roared his huge thesis, which he's all written a book about. And his thesis is that our problem in America is we don't trust experts enough. He wrote a whole book about it. We don't just trust them enough. Well, I, there would be no need for journalism at all if the trust in experts could be assumed. Is that not what we do? It, 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 tweak, poke at, make fun of, but ultimately check on experts? The idea that we have one overall transcendent challenge in our democracy, and that's to submit to the opinions of people 
who have lots of medals on their chest. <laughs> and, and, and our other problem is that sometimes we make fun of those people, challenge their statements, um, report on their connections and biases. That's not problem number two. Between those two problems, with which Radio Tom, Free Tom has identified more explicitly than any other journalist, we have absolutely no need for a free press. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so I think that's their position now. I never thought that the press would hold that position. I always knew that power would always side with itself and, and excuse itself. But I never knew that the press would come in and say, hey, America, hey, audience, hey, Atlantic reader, hey, whatever. Your problem is that you don't believe what you're told by the people who tell us what to write. Yeah. So it's so openly out of touch. It doesn't even try to kind of convince people. Uh, that and, and what's weird is that they did it at the time of the explosion of the internet. So technically, we all have, you know, they say that the iPhone has all the computing resources of the Apollo program in 1969, and you can hold it in your hand. Well, technically now, and Substack and so on is proving that, every American who wants to be informed has the power to double check, look at uh, primary sources and so on. Now, the risk of that is that they might be misinformed or disinformed, but that they should announce this orthodox sort of regime expert-based consensus as the holy of holies at the time when at the same time, everybody has the ability to throw a spitball at it, look behind it, find out about who, who makes it up, is wild. That, that has been a formula for the bifurcation of society because asking everyone to submit at the moment they now have the tools that make it possible not to is going to drive everything apart. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for coming yeah, on. We really you. appreciate it. We, I highly recommend that everybody check out your Substack. Uh, one, one of the funniest writers uh, out there that you that you can find, and one of the most incisive and uh, interesting, and a uh, longtime admirer. So, uh, thanks for coming on. I hope hope to see you soon. Uh, anytime. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Take care. And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. All right. That was great, huh? That was. He's just a really smart, interesting writer, you know, not not afraid to say what he thinks and uh, highly recommend uh, reading reading his stuff because he's he's never boring. He's never wrote, you know, doesn't doesn't try to copy anybody else. And I think, you know, he takes his work really, really seriously, too, which is which is which is cool. But uh, a lot lot of things, interesting things in that interview. For sure. Should we encourage people to see up in the air? You think that does he get money from that? Yeah, probably. I mean, I I feel like Up in the Air, it's it's a good movie, but it doesn't really capture what yeah. reading reading him is like. Reading yeah, him no, is definitely meet him, read him, read him. I'm just curious if it'll help him out. Yeah, I don't know why. It probably will. But no, yeah. that's not the priority. The priority is to read his books. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got a a, a prose style that's. I mean, I don't even know how to explain it. It's. God, I feel like anybody I'm going to mention, he's going to be offended by. So I don't know, but but you know, it's it's, it's very witty. Danielle Steele. <laughs> Danielle Steele, yeah. Uh, 
No, he's probably an amalgam of a lot of a lot of different sort of funny American writers. Anyway, but he very funny writer, very cool guy, and we should, we should definitely have. We should think of a topic that's totally random and have him on to talk about yeah. for an entire Why hour. Why not the the Colbert thing? Yeah, I think we we could do that a whole yeah. like a whole Colbert hour. Yeah, I think. See, I actually think that Colbert was playing a guy who wasn't. Was he? A, it's an interesting question whether he was a charlatan or a true believer, or I think kind of both. Well, he was both. Yeah. So I've been on that show. Very difficult because remember the, the premise of the show is you're the straight man. Right. Right. So you, you're not the you're, funny one. You're yeah. actually instructed not to be funny. Yeah. Uh, and like literally instructed or you mean li structurally? Li literally instructed. They like tell they you kind that? Of, yeah. They come in, they kind of tell you how it's going to go. And then I had, a, I had a terrible experience where they told me how it was going to go. And then it turned, he, went with different material once we got on on on, on the air but um what did they say was going to be and what was it i don't even remember but i was pretty young and i was a little uncomfortable on the air at that point in my in my uh life but but the the thing is the the conceit of the show was that he was this blowhard who you know who everybody hated right and but he was completely oblivious to how incompetent and stupid he was and so you he was supposed to uh, kind of throw that act at you and you were supposed to bounce back the earnest part. But every now and then he would like slip out a character in the middle of the show and just start interviewing you like a regular person. You know, that was confusing too. So do you, do you watch his new show? No, I've watched it a few times. I mean, I did think that that was kind of insane. The, uh, oh, the, the, the way he thing? responded to Jon Stewart. Yeah, so Jon Stewart was basically doing this joke about how, what was the, did, oh, did you see it? The Wuhan thing? Yeah. 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 So yeah. he was saying that, like, he, you know, it, was, it could have been Wuhan and it could have been created in the lab. Right. Could have come from the lab is what he was saying. Right. And Colbert was very obviously uncomfortable. In fact, Jimmy Dore did a whole thing about this where he's talking about how it, like not only was it politically problematic, but it violates this like, you know, the stand up code, like the comedian code. Like you, you should not be in the way of someone in their bit. You should not do anything to obstruct. Someone's oh, right. Bit. Mm -hmm. um which was an interesting uh an added uh critique it was really uncomfortable yeah and and Stuart has to like literally go up to the camera and talk straight into the camera because he couldn't like say what he wanted to say with Colbert next to him well it's funny what Walter was talking about how the you know the mediocrities have the you know they count their medals and everything like that yeah. like Col Colbert is definitely a collector of medals at this point like he's yeah he's a guy with a lot of medals in his chest and you think I think that's Probably why it feels like he has the, the uh, both the right and the responsibility to stop somebody from saying something yeah. like that. But it's very he weird. Used, he used to be so irreverent and challenging of power. Like, remember, he defended Helen Thomas, went after Bush at the White House correspondence dinner um, with the video also that Bush was not amused by. I mean, I think part of it, it's easier to do in character. It's very easy to do that in character. But I also think he did have a, you know, I think he has a bit of a, resistance brain well yeah and and he probably feels this awesome responsibility to be a shaper of opinions which yeah. ironically i think he was more when he was at right comedy yeah. central yeah, but exactly. um but uh yeah it, it, it hasn't he helped some great israel stuff too at uh, comedy central like really scathing i mean again it's easier to do when you're in parody because but like he said stuff to the to michael oren the israeli ambassador to his face he was joking about you know very critically joking about why they couldn't let like cinnamon in in the uh the blockade into gaza 
anyway, Walter, uh, that, that was great. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that was a milestone for me. Um, so anyway, thanks uh, for tuning in. Uh, rate and review us. And, yes, uh, rate and review us. Uh, subscribe. subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. And tune in to uh, Monday morning. Monday morning, yeah. Yeah. Which is, uh, and our YouTube, which is youtube.com slash usefulidiots. That's right. And it's a live stream response to Sunday morning's shows. At 10 a.m. 10 a.m., yeah. Monday. We watch them so you don't have to. Okay, that's cool. Great. Hello, thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.